You are listening to episode 30 of the STEM Space, where today Natasha and I talk about my recent STEM project, where my students launched a balloon to the edge of space. You can hear all of the background details in episode 27 from Natasha's experience before listening to my recent epic adventure in today's show. If you would like to learn more about how you can do this with your students, you can catch our detailed session in the Champions for Science Middle School Conference happening in June. Get all the details for this conference in the show notes. Let's get started. Welcome to the STEM Space, hosted by Vivify co-founders Claire and Natasha. Two aerospace engineers turned educators, sharing our passion for all things STEM. Check us out at vivifystem.com. Hello, Claire. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, I am excited to talk about this epic adventure that you just had, right? You just finished this weather balloon project. How did it go? Right. So a few days ago, we finally launched this weather balloon that we've been preparing for with my students for the last two months, and then we're able to successfully recover it. There's some few bumps in the road on the way to recovery, but as expected, and so many things gained from both failure and throughout this process of launching this weather balloon. So I'm super excited to talk about it. So you want me to just lay it out there? Yeah, well, let's set it up. So tell everybody your position and who were the students involved with this project? So I am a kindergarten through sixth grade STEM teacher, and I did this project with 17 fifth and sixth graders. So I meet with them twice a week for 45 minutes a piece. And we did this all during school class time. And how did you manage this project and over how many weeks? We did this over about eight weeks. And I broke up the students into teams like you previously talked about. Then I had liaisons in each team where they had to communicate to the other teams what they were doing. We didn't have much time to have them present what they were finding. So we just had them being in constant communication with the other teams to make sure that everything was covered. I was learning through it too. This is my first time to launch a weather balloon. So I really didn't know how to guide them. So we're kind of learning together, which was really exciting. And they asked really great questions. So that was really helpful as we we finally accomplished this project. And I think you also brought in some guest speakers, right, to help you talk about that. That's exactly right. So I really wanted to have mentors to help my students, but it was really hard to do that and having people that could be there when I had classes. What I ended up doing was having students be able to Zoom, do Zoom sessions with some experts. First thing we did is we actually reached out to a local news station and talked to them about what we were doing and how we thought it could fit in with maybe their goals in talking and educating kids about weather. And so they actually sponsored part of our project, which was amazing. And then the meteorologist, the chief meteorologist, was able to do a Zoom session with our students and talk to them about how weather balloons are used every day. I mean, I thought, you know, even as an aerospace engineer myself, I thought, oh, well, I'm sure we use satellites and all sorts of complicated equipment to figure out what our weather forecasts are. But no, we use weather balloons, just like what we just sent up with our students. 900 weather balloons are sent up around the world every day, twice a day. Wow. And that is the only way that we know what's going to happen in our weather. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. 
it was really cool to have a meteorologist talk through this with my students as they were preparing. So they had more of an idea of the big picture of this project. We also brought in a, a man who works in the Air Force and he uses weather data to be able to prep his pilots so that they're able to accomplish their missions too. So I was trying to bring in a wide range of real world applications to why this project is so important and how it is actually used by real scientists today. That's awesome. So as you're organizing the project, um, and I talked about this in the video, there's so many different directions you can go. You can focus on the engineering side with the payload, the, the learning outcomes could be on the science experiment. How did you, or what were your learning outcomes? What was your focus since this was your first time? Right. It was hard to figure out what I should focus on for this first time. I wanted to do all the things. So we did, we're able to touch on all the aspects of STEM with the science experiment, with the engineering of building things and bringing in the technology with the trackers. And so I, I think you can do so much with this, but you do kind of have to narrow it down. And big picture, I wanted my students to see how they can accomplish great things that are used in the real world, like I just talked about. Um, and then bringing in the community and our whole school to get them involved. And so I did that with the science experiment. So I had a lot of science focus on this project. We, I had my students research the way that temperature and pressure affects different things like food, batteries, different gases. And so they were able to like read through some information that I gave them and say, I propose a question say, well, what do you think based on what you just learned, how uh, sending up a bug in the weather balloon would be affected or how would bubble wrap uh, react when you send that up on the weather balloon. And then they narrowed down to three different ideas that they had and then proposed that to the school and the school voted on which science experiment to send up and they ultimately chose a raw chicken egg, nice. which is pretty interesting. Yeah. So then I was able to have them use the engineering design process to come up with a way up with a way to attach the raw chicken egg safely to the payload in a way that we could still see what happens with the GoPro camera that was on board as well. What was your experience using this uh, high altitude science uh, kit? Cause I know it comes with a frame and it has a lot of the components. What was your experience with that? That was super useful. I would highly recommend starting with a kit your yeah. first time. I know that you've built your own payloads before and that seems Just really once, And I don't know if I would do it again. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the high altitude science is their kit was everything that we needed and they really give you a good guideline of where things go. It's already pre-drilled holes, so it's easy for the students to figure out, okay, this attaches here, this has space for this, and it's really lightweight. So it really takes a lot of the guesswork, um, especially if it's your first time in figuring out what to do. Are there any lessons learned um, on just the setup? So before we get to launch day, you know, organizing this project, getting ready for it, what, anything you would do differently, any advice you have? I would definitely try to be more redundant with mm -hmm. the different ways of tracking and collecting data. We did have end up going with two different trackers on ours. So we had the spot trace, which is the GPS tracker. And uh, that was really useful because that's the only tracker that ended up working when, when we launched the payload. 
We also had an APRS transmitter, which is what the a ham radio license is needed to launch. And that's, I heard, is the most reliable because yeah. it's also sending you weather data, like in the moment, like altitude and, and pressure temperature readings and things like that. So it's also not just a redundancy in tracking, but also a redundancy in flight data. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, our battery popped out at some point of the of the flight or of the launch. And so we did, weren't able to use that tracker. So I'm grateful that we had redundancy in having the spot trace. The one thing that we didn't have redundancy on was the GoPro camera. So next time I would love to send up multiple cameras just in case one doesn't work or we had the battery ran out after the balloon pop. So we didn't get to see the video of the descent. And I'd really love the kids to be able to see that as well as a different angle from the payload, like maybe pointing up to see the balloon itself. For the ham radio license, did you get it yourself or how did that happen? Our, with our timeline, I didn't really have time to do it myself. So I actually contacted a local ham radio club, which surprisingly, there's a whole lot of those out there. So I bet wherever you are, you could find one too. And they are so excited to be able to educate people on ham radio. So I actually have um, a ham radio guy coming to speak to my students about other things that you can do with ham radio licenses. So there's so many opportunities to bring experts in and talk to your kids about all different aspects of this project. But uh, you just need somebody that has their license with ham radio to be able to give you their call sign. And so I do plan on getting my technician's license, which is, I heard, pretty easy to do. Uh, so I'll do that for next time. Nice. Okay, so I really want to get to launch day because when I've done this in the past, it's just been me and the students. You know, we had some cameras. We did this launch. But you went next level <laughs> and you just had this epic event. Um, can you talk about first the build up to this because it actually got canceled the first time. And then how did it go? Like, tell me about this crazy epic adventure. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of the most uh, nerve wracking, <laughs> to put it lightly, parts of this project is that you can't control the weather. <laughs> and that's a lot of what you're learning is about weather. And so we actually had to cancel it twice while we were trying to launch this balloon. We ended up moving it twice the launch day. But I knew that I wanted to have our location that we ended up choosing for several reasons. We chose to launch at an airport. And I know in the guidelines, you're not supposed to be anywhere near a major airport. So we chose one. I live in a rural part of North Texas. We chose a airport that is not controlled. And so it's a really not in a congested area or anything like that. There's not a lot of aircraft that are flying all the time. But I chose that location for several reasons. One, I am an aviation enthusiast. I'm a student pilot. My husband's a pilot. And we spend a lot of time at the airport. But I wanted the aircraft to be safe. I didn't want to pose any hazards to airplanes that might be flying in the area. So I thought, well, what a better way to do that than be the most visible by launching at the airport itself. Another reason why that is really helpful is that if you're launching at an airport that's safe for airplanes to fly so there's no other things that could harm the weather balloon as well so there wasn't any power lines or tall towers or any obstructions that could harm our weather balloon so it was a perfect location 
Another thing I wanted to do was bring more awareness to aviation in general. We are flying a weather balloon, so I want to talk about flight. So I contacted the airport manager and we arranged to have several different airplanes and aircraft to be there at the event to show the kids as we're prepping and getting ready for launch. There's a lot of downtime at the very beginning. And I wanted families to be able to come out and watch the weather balloon, but also to experience what you could do with aviation and weather, like who uses that data? A lot of airplanes, you have to, to know how to fly. So we had gyrocopters, helicopters. We had a agricultural crop duster there. We had a, um, World War II era biplane that was open cockpit that was giving rides to people. So it was it was incredible. And uh, I also kind of had that as like an insurance too, just in case everything went badly with the weather balloon. But hey, you still came out and had fun so and learned some things. But it it was it was amazing. We also had a bake sale for our school during the event because I thought if people get hungry, they can buy from the bake sale and also help raise money for more awesome projects like this for our school. That is so awesome. And I remember you telling me that because it was an event, you had so many different photographers and videographers like paparazzi constantly, like the parents, your principal. Yes, so if you want footage and so you don't have to worry about that, invite lots of people because they're all gonna have their phones out. So I got some really great videos and pictures of our kids doing all sorts of awesome things as part of the project. That's so cool. Um, one thing I remember from launch day that's the most overwhelming is you have this checklist that is so long and detailed. And in the moment you're overwhelmed because not only are you thinking about the weather balloon launch, but you're dealing with all the kids and what are they doing? And then the people watching you and then you're getting interviewed for live TV, right? You had the weather channel. <laughs> So um, I've had things go wrong because of that chaos. Um, we, we released a balloon and didn't go anywhere because we didn't have enough helium. Um, what went wrong at your launch? So actually the same thing that happened to you happened to me too. You so. didn't learn from me. <laughs> no. So what do, we don't know what happened. I guess we're thinking that since we both did it wrong, I feel like then it can't be our fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with that. So yes, there is a, part of this project where you have to calculate how much helium goes into the balloon based on the weight of your payload and how fast you want it to ascend. So we did all the calculations and we used the little gauge that comes with the high altitude science kit and it just didn't work. We did the whole countdown, everybody was watching and we released it and it just started dragging the payload and like tumbling and everything on the ground and I was chasing after it because I was like don't let the balloon hit the ground it'll pop um so yeah I mean in, embarrassing your nerves are like crazy and like what are we going to do but thankfully we had a big helium tank and just added a bunch more helium uh, it was really windy that day too so I'm thinking we had to overcome that wind as well to, to get it to go up. So I think what happened, we had a really windy day too. When you're pulling on the gauge, the wind is picking up the balloon. And so you're not getting an accurate measurement, right? But I don't That's know how weird. to overcome that. Right. So we inflated the balloon inside the first time. So oh, we didn't did. have that problem. So I don't have that excuse. But oh. the second time I was trying to gauge it and it was like, you know, doing this. I'm like, yeah, I've 
no idea how much balloon, <laughs> uh, how much helium is in this balloon. Um, so there is another way that they recommend inflating the balloon using water in a two liter bottle. So I think I'll try that next time and do more research on on how to how to accurately gauge how much helium is in your in your balloon. Right. So but, I've done both, and the two liter bottle was the first couple launches, and it never failed me. And I was like, I don't need this. I'll just use this gauge. And it failed the one time I didn't have the two liter bottle. So maybe just we should go back to the old school method. <laughs> I think so. So yeah, there's a lesson learned there. Yeah. Another thing that was really interesting when we had that failure is watching that payload tumble. And we had a raw chicken egg on our, on our payload. Yeah. And it was was not cracked, not harmed at all. So there's a lot of things that you have to consider to protect the payload as it's going up. One is temperature because it's gonna get real cold. So that was something that we also had a failure on is our GoPro camera. Uh, worked really well all the way up until the balloon popped and then we have no footage after that. And I think it's because the battery ran out because it was so cold up there. So I think I'll try to um, do a way to warm, keep the GoPro camera warm next time. The other thing that we had to consider was that a couple times I ran the calculations to predict where it might land and it would land in a lake. So we figured out how to make the payload float by adding like the insulating tubing that you can find for pipes. We added a bunch of those to the frame, kind of like pool noodles, yeah. to make sure that it would float in case it landed in water. Um, and then also with the science experiment, how to protect it from all the different things that could go wrong. And so um, it actually really was helpful when we failed on the ground too, so. Mm -hmm. And so in the kit, what did you add that didn't already come? So you said those pool noodle things to help it float. Was there anything else you needed to buy that was extra? Yes, yeah, so it doesn't come with the GoPro camera. So we bought one of those and in the guide that we have, we suggest which one to get. Cause I think the newer GoPro cameras don't help as much with temperature as the older ones. So there's mm -hmm. a, a version that we would recommend um, at this point. And then the, it doesn't come with the APRS transmitter. So we added that and then a radar reflector. I thought that was really important. That's not required for safety from the FAA, but it's really helpful for air traffic control to be able to see your balloon on their radar. Um, so we added, added that as well. I would also recommend buying extras of the balloon and plenty of extra helium uh, in case what happens to you is what happened to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you've launched the balloon the second time, right? It's successfully released. What happened next? So, you know, all you can do at that point is just hope that your trackers work. And one of them automatically didn't. And so we think that when we had that tumble, the battery got loose enough to where it fell out. My students, I mean, we had the, all these checklists, right? I had three students with all the same checklists. So they were triple checking everything um, because I know that I couldn't, because I was like talking on live TV for the Weather Channel. Right? <laughs> So uh, everything went well uh, in releasing it. So we know that probably the battery just fell out from the APRS transmitter, but the spot trace tracker started working. So then some the recovery team and I got in my car and we just started following wherever that tracker was showing it was. 
because we wanted to be there on site whenever it landed so that we could make sure we recover it. Nobody else does because I mean, it's got a GoPro on it. We we're hoping that nobody would want to take it. So we drove for about three hours. The, uh, we launched about an hour later than we had planned. So the weather had changed. The winds had changed. So it went in a different direction and farther than we had anticipated. So we ended up in um, a really congested city in North Texas. We ended up in Fort Worth. <laughs> so uh, we were driving into the night and Wait, we got- so where, How far off was it from where you planned or you expected it to go? Oh gosh, it went, I mean, an hour and a half longer of a drive wow. than we expected it to go. Yes, because the winds had picked yeah. up so much. And you had more helium also than you have. Well, you don't know, but you I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, I'm I'm very much a planner and I calculate things and then all bets were off once we had to figure out how to how to launch it the second time. So, yeah, we we weren't really sure, but thankfully the tracker was super accurate and we got to where it showed that it was and we could not find it. But at that point, it was really late at night. It was dark. There's really tall trees in the area and we just couldn't see. So we ended up pretty, being pretty defeated and we drove all the way back to our home. But the next day, I was just going to take a screenshot of where the tracker said it was and make flyers to send out to the area of like, please return this. Uh, it's a science project for these right. schools. But another thing that I also added on the payload was a picture of my students and Perfect. my phone number saying that this is a, a class project. Look at these sweet faces. Please return this if you find it. And so I was hopeful that maybe somebody would pick it up, but I was making these flyers and I noticed when I was going to take a screenshot of the tracker that it had moved. So ended up moving to a neighborhood where we were able to find people that lived in that area that went and searched for it and they found it stuck in a tree. So, so uh, then they had the fire department come out and retrieve it out of the tree. It ended up being more exciting and more of an adventure than we'd anticipated. And it, I mean, it's just amazing what this will do for your students. Yeah, I was so nervous whenever you had texted me that night, like, how accurate is the tracker? And I was like, oh no, they can't find it. And then you sent me like a depressing message that morning. And I, I remember thinking, it's not over until it's over. Like, because I've been through this almost every launch, something crazy happens. And I think that's really important for teachers that are planners and that want to control things that you cannot control this. It's, it's going to be a crazy adventure. And if everything goes perfectly, it's not, you might not even get your data back, right? Like it could land in a lake and sink to the bottom. Someone could steal it. Like you just can't control that end result. Um, but how awesome, like how it, you know, came back. Okay. So then you got it, came back to you. And then what did you see? So, you know, like you said, you don't even know if you get it back, if it collected any data, if your GoPro right. camera even works, you know, I trusted the kids to turn it on. So maybe they didn't even turn it on. Right. Uh, and then just the footage that we got because everything worked and it's just incredible. You see these videos like we're sharing on this, on this video of just the, I mean, the curvature of the earth, you could, you could see how into space, like it's, it's really incredible what you can do with just this seemingly small student project. And 
like you're talking about, there's so much that's out of your control. And we always talk about modeling things to our students. How often do we model our own failures to our students? And this is just an amazing opportunity to show them, hey, just like in school, in any class, you don't know what the outcomes are going to be. You're probably nervous when you're taking a test or a project. You don't have control and you think that the teachers do. But on this one, nobody does. And so you have to learn through that. And you're able to show them like this is what we're preparing for. This is what we can control. Anything that we get back from this is extra. And it's going to be incredible experience either way. If we don't get anything back or if we do, there's learning objectives that are accomplished both ways. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that perspective because I'm thinking when we have our kids do an engineering challenge or a science experiment, they're doing it and we're just watching, right? And we're, we're usually grading them and judging them, right? But this, you are in it with them. On launch day, you are freaking out just like they are. And you're like, is it on? Is the camera on? Is it? And they, they watch you and you have to be very aware of that. And you're like, okay, keep it together. You know, show how you're going to like persevere <laughs> through this. But they see you as like a real person and that you experience failure and how you kind of hold it together and how you stay calm and okay didn't work guys let's do it again like the launch got canceled that's okay we didn't get our payload that's okay we had an amazing adventure like you can frame that differently every time you experience a failure um so what was in the end i know you just presented this to your school uh, what was kind of the conclusion how did the students think about this whole project they because they all had roles in this project and giving them jobs was so important which i had them apply for and like a Ooh. real job they had to share like what experience would qualify them for this job and so some kids were like well i i've made several videos so i'd be really good to be on the media specialist team or um one one student said well my grandfather worked in mission control at nasa during the apollo program so i would really love to be on mission control i was like Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, and so because they had such ownership, they were like, oh, we did it. Like, look at what we did. Look at. And so there's this whole sense of accomplishment, not even with just the students that were part of it, but the whole school. They all voted on the science experiment. Um, even at the event, I had a big chalkboard and said, what do you think will happen to this raw chicken egg? Will it freeze or will it explode? And I had them mark and vote on what they'd want to do. So it was like this sense of accomplishment for our whole community almost of getting to watch this journey and experience and be a part of it. That's amazing. I love that you had the engagement at the event where they got to vote. That's, that's really cool. I had done um, a Twitter hashtag. And so I would keep everybody updated through Twitter because all the parents were like, where is it? Where are we going? So I think that's a great way to get the community, the parents, the school involved. Okay, so my final question, I, you've been through a lot of ups and downs over this year going through this project. Would you recommend it and would you do it again? That's a great question. So it was actually after that first night when we could not find the payload and I came home and I was just really you know, disappointed and really kind of think like, how am I going to recover this? And I'd spent several weeks just like stressing over all the little details and things. And I was told my husband, I was like, maybe this is like every three years right. thing. Um, I don't know if I can handle this, but just seeing how it all came together and looking back 
over the last two months. I mean, it was just so incredible that I don't think there's any other project we could do that would give the students so much experience and knowledge gained and understanding and growth mindset that this is going to definitely be an every year thing for me. And I would highly recommend any teacher to take this on for their students because no matter what happens, it's worth it. And I would say whether you're elementary, middle, high school, this can college, there's high altitude balloon clubs in college. Like it's really all ages and you can adapt it and modify it for any of your students. Um, so I hope that you guys learned something from this video talking with Claire. Thank you so much uh, for joining me and you guys can learn more about our adventures. I know you're going to be posting more photos and videos on our website, uh, which is vivifystem.com. And we hope to connect with everybody soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.